You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 116, National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Sandy, I think we're probably going to hit on elements of all three of those in today's conversation, because after all, it is Awareness Month, isn't it? No, Dave, it is not Awareness Month. At I... I'm so frustrated every time I pick up the newspaper. I knew you go were going to love it when Facebook. I said that. Facebook, <laughs> yes, thank you for that intro because I'm really frustrated. Um, we have not had an awareness month for several years. Every year, uh, it first it changed from awareness when we had just a day that started in 2011, and it was January 11th, and that was an awareness day. Then we had an awareness month. But then things began to change as we realized that awareness is not enough. And so it became a National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month. So, um, and, and let's just kind of compare the difference between a month that is dedicated to awareness and a month that is dedicated to prevention. What do you think of when you think of awareness? I know something is happening in the world, and I have it on my radar screen somewhere. Okay. That's what I think of. Yeah. And I'm aware that football games are happening and the Super Bowl is going to happen. I probably don't even sit down in my chair to watch the game, but I'm aware of it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very, it's a pretty low bar, I I think would be the thing that comes to my mind is, okay, I know football's going on or whatever. I don't necessarily do anything, though. And and it is important to be aware of things. It's important to be aware that there's a speed limit sign. And and I think you you have um, a continuum of awareness. And part some of that awareness is actually becoming an alert person to um, uh, more be more sensitive to what you're seeing. Right. So if there's an awareness that you're driving in an area where there might be more deer than normal, being more conscious of watching for that can lead to some behavior change that might ultimately help you and others. Exactly. So for my listeners, I just want you to know I'm not throwing away your awareness plan for celebrating this month, but I want to challenge us to really explore what this proclamation is for National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month. And where does this proclamation come from? Is it a federal, is it, it is it a State Department thing, the president? It's actually a presidential proclamation, and then all of the agencies that are um, part of the president's interagency task force on human trafficking, they promote these um, this month as well. Got so you it. can you can go to the FBI or the um, Department of Homeland Security, and you'll see links to the president's proclamation. Very good. So, so the first thing um, I think 
especially here in the United States, we have a tendency to equate human trafficking with um, some kind of sexual, um, commercial sexual exploitation. And part of the, the purpose of including slavery and human trafficking in the name of this month is so that we begin to understand how those two um, titles for this issue are linked and how they are differentiated. And I know we've had this conversation on the show before, Sandy, um, but for those who may be tuning in for the first time or uh, for those of us who sometimes do think about those just kind of all in one thought, what is the distinction? Well, when when they chose the word trafficking because people were selling people, um, that's the part of the enterprise uh, we know um, there's arms trafficking. People are selling arms, so they're being transferred from one um, person or entity to another. Um, drug trafficking, we're very aware. So they used human trafficking because these are things you're not supposed to sell. But slavery um, ha- is the is the is what happens. The outcome for the end user in in one um, discussion. It was described by being parallel to being um, the difference between being a retailer, a wholesaler, and the customer who makes the purchase. So one is a conduit of commerce, and the other is the end user. And when we start to think of it that way, then we understand um, better how to address issues of labor trafficking, Mm. because there's still been the selling of a person, but it isn't over and over and over again. It's to an end user who then um, uses a person for labor, whether it's domestic servitude or in a textile factory or out in a field. And that is that is slavery. So the distinction is where we are along the, and forgive this term, Sandy, supply chain of right. this. Um, but that's you have to you have trend. to look at it economically because that's how tra- that's what's driving a lot of this is mm-hmm. the economics. So if you look at it like you would look at a supply chain, it's okay. Where are you along that process? And that's that's where those terms become distinct as far as being able to recognize those different points in the and, process. And that's such a good um, uh, point too, Dave, because along that process, there's the person procuring. There is the person, the middleman, um, making arrangements for the sale, and I'm using like air quotes there, yeah. and and then the next sale and the next sale, and you know I just um, linked this to slave trafficking of um, slave labor and forced labor, but the end user in commercial sexual exploitation has not been traditionally focused on in human trafficking except by those working on reducing demand. But when we begin to see the end user as a part of that supply chain and um, that person is implicated in the human trafficking um, issue, we're going to start seeing the prosecutions of people who have purchased a slave 
And so integrating the term slavery into the National Prevention Month is an important um, distinction. I think the other reason why it's important is because it reminds us as Americans in the land of the home of the brave and land of the free, that we have an historical link to slavery. Mm -hmm. And the the, um, artifacts of that are present in our culture and they're present in modern day uh, versions of slavery. Mm. So it's something for us to not forget. And by making this proclamation, the National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month, it draws all of those factors onto our um, discussion plate. Do you, uh, forgive me if I'm taking this a little off topic, Sandy, but I, I am interested from a standpoint of thinking about this just purely from a U.S.-centric conversation for a moment. Is there is there a hesitation or maybe even a obstacle that some Americans put up in their minds around the word slavery because people hear that word and they go, oh, that was the 1800s or 1900s in America. That's not where we are today. Human trafficking, yes, but but there's no slavery anymore. Right. Do you find that, that because of that word that people sometimes have a little bit more of a just a harder time of like getting to that point of understanding what's really going on or or is that not a factor I, really? I think you really hit on an important point. We do have a sense that slavery was outlawed and 150 years ago and so it doesn't exist. But um we have speed speeding limits, speed limits and speeding still exists. Mm-hmm. So the idea that um a law uh, we can draw a line in the sand, and now it's over. Is it's still something we have to have, we have to address? And there are um, there are organizations that are working on this topic right now. Um, at, you may remember last June I went to Cincinnati to the Underground um, Railroad Museum, mm-hmm. where they hosted a Freedom Summit that literally um, connected the dots for us between our own history of the Atlantic slave trade and today's modern slavery right here in the U.S. and globally and the whole issue of human trafficking. I'm glad you brought up the analogy with um, speeding. I mean, in some ways they seem like a world apart, but the the truth is still there for us of just because there's a law doesn't mean things don't happen. And we have so many examples of that in, in, in every culture and every country of that. And, but, and I do, and I think that sometimes we think like, Oh, because it's, because it's slavery and it's something so bad and something so heinous that we've, and we had the civil war and all those things that came out and, and it's gone. And finally we overcame that, but we didn't entirely. Right. It, it has just, it has changed. Uh, it is not as um, it is not as apparent on an everyday basis in our society as it was 150 years ago, and yet it is still present. And so, it it I'm glad that word is there, and right. I think it it is um, it's interesting in thinking about this from a standpoint of this month of how do we um, internalize that word and make 
uh, and acknowledge it and acknowledge that that's happening and be able to enter into that conversation of no, it's not just it's not just people who are are, are part of that supply chain. It's also that there are end users here, right, in this and, country and today. If, if we begin to examine our own lifestyle, um, we may not see the slave, the person, but and and formal slavery the way it existed in the eighteen hundreds isn't here. But we know because of the 2008 um, mandate for the Department of Labor to produce a report of goods and services that are produced by child and forced labor, which is human trafficking, slavery, and every other year. And there are 173 products from 74 countries on the last report in 2014. So I am the end user when I walk in a store to purchase something that might have been made by a slave, which is why I always am proud to tell people I'm from California, where we passed the Supply Chain Transparency Act in 2010, so that customers have access to a corporation's um, supply chain audit to make sure that they aren't inadvertently becoming an end user Mm-hmm. of of a slave so that I can have cheap products. No. So that there are some some moral issues, some human rights issues, and certainly um, prevention has to become a part of our conversation. And I'm very frustrated that even though um, it's been the um, in the title, I know since 2013, 14, 15, four years, um, why are we not hearing more about prevention? So the activities around this month tend to still be awareness driven, I think is what I'm hearing you say, yeah. is that it's it's more of a, here's what's going on, let's recognize this, let's acknowledge it, but that the focus isn't necessarily on what are the What's a first step or what's something that if you were, were to go to an event or you were to engage in this in some way or an organization was to engage in this a month in some way that there tends to not be the, okay, here's something we can do, an action that we can take that would actually contribute to prevention. Exactly. And and the the part that's most frustrating is that prevention has been a part of our model for fighting human trafficking since we first started in 2000 with the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, we had the prevention, protection, and prosecution, the three Ps. But prevention has um, historically been underfunded. Um, um, it has existed mostly of awareness events, and it is difficult to measure. I'd love to hear from some of our listeners who have suggestions for how do we measure prevention. Well, and this this is this is so much a human thing too, Sandy. I mean, you you as a healthcare professional earlier in your career know uh, the 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 investment in prevention is so this the return on investment <laughs> from purely an economic standpoint is so much greater than uh, fighting disease or a condition once it's already taken place in your body. At the same time, the vast majority of focus on our resources and our healthcare system are on the you know, that end situation of how That's do we right. then, you know, how do we cure and, 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 and do medical interventions? And so I, is, I think there's a cultural aspect here too of like, 
and particularly in our American culture of we want to see a result now. So we want to see mm. action taken and then immediately resolve something, even if that means it's way along the process um, of already having happened versus the long-term investment and commitment that we all make to do something that's sustainable over time that really will contribute to prevention. Which is one of the, I mean, it's one of the mindsets I think about with this show is we don't see any kind of, I mean, occasionally we will see something, but we don't see any kind of immediate impact that happens when we air a podcast on this topic. No. But mm-hmm. I know over the last five, six years as we've aired it, that there are things that have happened that have brought conversations together, partnerships um, that, that, that have, have allowed us and, and friends and listeners to the show to go down different paths that ultimately have led to prevention efforts. Exactly. And, and, you know, of course, then that throws into the conversation how important collaboration is in mm-hmm. prevention. And um, especially when you're looking at, I'm glad you brought up the public health model, because the idea of prevention saving money and actually saving lives, saving um, quality of life for people, it, the idea of children who are afraid to go to the dentist because they have to have a tooth pulled uh, is almost foreign to this generation of kids. They go to the dentist and they get a new toothbrush and and um, some kind of a, um, a little reward. But the idea of brushing your teeth is taught in schools. It's taught in preschool. Um, new parents are taught about care for their, their baby's first tooth. Mm-hmm. And you, you know that. Yep. Yeah. Our, our one-year-old gets brushed every morning, every night. There you go. Even though she can't do it yet. Actually, it's crazy. She can do a bunch of it herself. Well, <laughs> and, and here's the thing. Even, and I was thinking about this, um, it's that time of year where they start uh, reinforcing this because it isn't something you learn once. You have to keep practicing. And so in elementary school, they give kids this little chewable tablet and the kids chew it up and then they look in a mirror with a black light and they see all the places they missed. Oh, I remember those. Yeah, that was so fun. Everybody wanted to do it. Yeah. I want to find um, a similar way for a community to do an assessment where they put a light, shine a light on the dark places and find the cavities and begin to address those issues before it turns into a horrible traumatic experience for somebody. Yeah. Mm. So uh, I know you've done some thinking on this, Sandy, and, and this certainly the Global Center for Women and Justice really works to be very intentional about how we partner with this with this month and with awareness activities. And I know you've you've done a lot of that over the years. Um, what are some of the things that we can keep in mind during this month and also planning for the future to begin to make that transition if we haven't already as an individual or an organization to starting to think about prevention and having that part of the conversation? Well, I think the word you used to introduce your thought and your question just now was key, intentional. And so any organization, any church ministry, any school department needs to start their planning with the four P's and draw four columns and then make sure that you're devoting time and resources um, into 
the columns that are going to be the most productive based on your expertise and resources over the long haul, not just a one, um, one-off project or, or event that is, forgive me, awareness-oriented, but something that's going to be sustainable. And prevention, people often uh, kind of wrinkle their brow and say, well, I'm not really sure what that looks like because I can't go do outreach in the street. I work. No, I'm not talking about that. And, and here's a few of the prevention strategies that might be um, happening in your community or you, you um, want to see them increase. So basic prevention often starts with warnings. And warnings are things like street signs, stop, or speed limits, or a big yellow um, warning sign that says the road out or the bridge out, or as in the case of with our rain yesterday, um, flooding. So there's a warning. So you don't go that direction. Does that keep everybody from going that direction or not speeding or not stopping? No, no, no. So, so then we sometimes revert to strategies um, that my grandma, oh my goodness, she, she wanted to make sure that I never smoked and my grandpa. So they told me horrible stories about smoking. I was scared to be in the same room with someone smoking. And when somebody tried to, to make me um, put a cigarette in my mouth, I, boy, I, I was running the other direction, kept my lips together because I knew, because my grandpa told me, if you smoke, you're going to have cancer. Mm. And that, that just absolutely horrified me. So he put, he put fear as, um, as a prevention strategy. And I think uh, in a lot of ways, many of our public health initiatives are fear based because we don't want to get um, the flu. So we take a vaccination. Uh, We're afraid of what will happen if we get polio. So we get that vaccination. And the understanding that there is something harmful that will happen. We have to balance that because I've seen some fear tactics that are called prevention in our schools with our kids and with their parents that are probably not very realistic and not best practice for prevention. And we've talked about that on some other shows. I'll put a note in the show notes about that show. Um, so, so warnings are one method for prevention. And so um, I want to make sure I'm, I'm hearing you right, is we do see in, in outreach on this issue, we do see uh, some of the like horror stories and 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 uh, victim stories that go out there is that kind of presentation slash that that um, that dark side that fear based thing is that helpful in the conversation is that appropriate to do some of that is that something to steer away from I just want to make sure I, I really get a clear sense of like how you see that and how that's helpful or not in in prevention strategies. Well, it, part of it is how do you do um, a wonderful story for someone who's never been a victim? So if you went into a neighborhood, did after-school programs like we've talked about here, and done a great job of prevention, 
and then you're hosting an event on prevention and you have someone come in and tell their story, it's not a riveting story. No, I was never trafficked. No, I, I graduated from high school and went on to college. Um, nobody's asking someone to go on the speaking trail and tell that story. Right. So it's very hard. Much people want to hear um, horrible stories. And that's uh, probably a topic for another show uh, because there is, there's discussion in, in the anti-trafficking community about how to balance that. Yeah. And that's what that's what I want to see happen with prevention strategies. So part of this is looking not necessarily we have a clear answer on on that, but thinking about it of of how do I balance having maybe a story like that, but also what are the positive aspects, what are the prevention steps, you know, it, that it's a that it's I, a very comprehensive conversation. I would love to have a community as a as a as a pilot study where we did the the dental health um, model and we literally um, covered that community with some kind of an assessment process to identify the places that we've missed and then we go in and work in those places to improve um, the the actually to reduce vulnerability and reduce risk. That's going to take some research though. And we'll have to study the root causes. Why are more um, victims coming from this area? For instance, is it related to um, a war on that continent? And now those people are showing up as, as labor trafficking victims. And, then we would have a, a wonderful contrast to show here's what was happening and now here's what is happening. Got it. Got it. So um, bring this together for me, Sandy, on if I am if I'm part of an organization that's that's doing an activity around this month or or maybe planning a future activity. Um, yeah, I'm I'm with you on the having the study and all of that 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 would be fabulous to do. Um, but the resources for a lot of people who are, are hearing this may not be there to, to engage in that right away. What's the first step that we could take to get, to get into that mode of thinking about this a little more holistically? And by the way, I love the advice of having the four Ps on a piece of paper and looking at each one of how to add that. Uh, is that the, a good starting point or is there something else that we should be thinking about too? Well, I think that is a good starting point. I think, though, that for those who have not really studied prevention, education is the first place. Mm. And, of course, everybody expects me to say that because this is Vanguard University Global Center for Women and Justice. But education is critical. We need to be out in the community. Community leaders need to know how to spot the places that are at risk so that they can do prevention. And prevention can include policing and, and prosecution of traffickers. So you, you, you've got to work with law enforcement, but it also includes um, the, the education in our schools and in our um, commerce, our businesses. Our businesses need to know how powerful the supply chain audit law is and how they can use that to make um, their businesses more 
morally upright and addressing human rights, but just from um, fair competition, business people who are not aware that other companies are able to undercut their bid because they use slaves, those people should be rising up in arms. Mm. And so education creates an environment where slavery and human trafficking will not thrive. So I'm I'm just thinking like one first step there is if we're doing a quote unquote awareness event um, and and maybe having a story and talking about what a what a horrible issue this is. Um, not necessarily that those things wouldn't still happen, but in addition to that, here's an educational component as part of that event. Here's exactly. here's a here's thirty minutes where we talk about what the laws are. Here's thirty minutes where we talk with our law enforcement agencies about what they're seeing and what they're doing. Um, here's thirty minutes where we get some training on on a particular aspect of this. So it's not that we're saying don't do any of the rest of the stuff. It's that let's add in also the component that really does empower us all to study these issues and ultimately make a difference like we talk about at the center. And you are so on track with um, helping me manage my frustration with this because I, I don't want to condemn people doing just awareness, but I do want to bring them along to include prevention. And so one of the things that we're going to do this month is we're going to release a prevention toolkit of um, three podcasts that you can listen to to get ideas for how you can begin to integrate prevention into whatever your anti-trafficking efforts include. Oh, cool. And um, how do folks get access to that? Do we have a, we'll a have, link yet? We'll have a show notes and we will, um, and I'm just kind of thinking this through out loud, Dave Stahoviak, my wonderful producer. But I think as soon as we have that podcast um, toolkit up, we'll do a little announcement podcast so that if you're subscribing to this, you'll get an alert um, that that toolkit is ready. Fabulous. I, uh, I we should have that out next week. Oh, okay, great. Awesome. So I'll definitely make sure we get an announcement out here on the feed. So if you're hearing this, uh, uh, stay tuned and we'll get information to you with the toolkit and prevention steps. And that's a great way for us to get people started, Sandy, on what are some first steps we can take. Uh, Sandy, this, you know, there's so much about this issue that tugs at our heartstrings and I, I shouldn't say all of us, but but 99% of people I ever have met who have become aware of this issue have wanted to really do something that will help and, 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 and truly in a heartfelt way want to contribute. And I think that this conversation today is a reminder to me that um, those good intentions, good intentions do not necessarily equate with, um, with helpful impact. Mm-hmm. they sometimes do, but sometimes they don't if we're not educated on what we can do to really help. And in some cases can harm. And so uh, if we can take the good intentions we all have and then start thinking about it in the framework of the four P's and the and the partnerships that are already out there and the organizations that are already supporting this, then we go, in addition to the, the feel-good things that we do to to help move things along, we actually can can contribute to some real traction on making a difference out there, which is ultimately what we all want. Exactly, exactly. And keeping in mind 
that this is over the long haul. You know, Insured Justice this year, 2016, is a marathon to end human trafficking. And prevention is a key piece of a long haul approach to ending human trafficking. Well, speaking of uh, things you can do that will help with real action, uh, I want to say thank you so much to everyone who has gone on to iTunes and looked up the show and left us a rating or review in the past. We're really grateful for you doing that. Um, not not so much because of us, but because we know that uh, for those of you who have done that, uh, every time someone goes and does that on iTunes, this show pops up more when people search for human trafficking. More and more people are doing that online as the quote-unquote awareness has raised Sandy about this issue. So, uh, you know, an awareness helps in so many ways because more people go online searching for things. So thank you to those of you who have done that. And if you, ha- if, if you have been listening to the show for a while and it's been helpful to you, if you take a moment to do that as well too, either to leave a rating or review on iTunes for the show, um, tell us what you like, tell us what we can do to improve and, and also, uh, we welcome your suggestions there, too. That really does help other people to find this. And the more that we can do a good job of that, Sandy, the more people are engaged in this conversation and the more partnerships that we're growing to continue to be supportive of really making a real difference here. And if you have a comment or question for us, I hope you'll reach out to us directly. Two great ways to do that are by email gcwj at vanguard.edu is our email address that stands for the global center for women and justice here at vanguard university or you can reach us by phone 714-966-6360 and sandy we got lots of great conversations coming up in the next few months leading up to the conference in march so check out the global center for women and justice website if you want to know more about the conference the dates uh, sandy again march are 4th and 5th 2016 at vanguard university gcwj.vanguard.edu is where to go have a great day Take care. thanks dave